Some people collect stamps, precious stones, or artifacts from another time. Me, I collect stories. I love stories that come out of conversation because they hold so many things all at once. Memories, emotions, lessons, new perspectives, comic relief, and so much more. They have the power to move us, to open our hearts, to connect us, to heal us. Stories offer a window into another person's universe, and I get to see what it's like to experience life from their eyes. They are an invitation to celebrate what makes us unique and what makes us the same. But most of all, I love how stories bring us together. How they harmonize us. How they remind me that each one of us is an essential voice in one glorious symphony. Welcome, my friends, to the harmony of stories. Hey, everyone! You are listening to episode three. Episode three now of the Harmony of Stories podcast. Thank you for being here with me. It's a cold spring morning. It's still dark outside. March twenty seventh. I've got the fire going. I've got a warm tea. Today I've got ashwagandha and dandelion root. Again from my favorite herb store, Hillfolk, in Cumberland Gap. Tennessee. I think it was in the last episode I made the mistake of saying Kentucky. Cumberland Gap is in Tennessee, but it's actually just not that far from us. We're uh, about an hour away from from the border. Yesterday it was really warm. It was gorgeous. We had some a lot of time actually out in the sun and just in this relaxed, celebratory mood all day. And I had a really long nap. Too, which I obviously needed, and we've got a dog、uh, who came by a few days ago, and we've decided to adopt him temporarily. We get stray dogs here every now and again, and this dog is a particularly gentle one. He's he doesn't even try and chase our rooster or our cats, and they just kind of hang out together. <laughs> And my son loves the dog. He's already fallen in love with the dog, and so we're feeding him and and just、uh, yeah, giving him some love until we can find find a home for him. So that's that's what's been going on around here. We're still trying to pack up and get the place ready to be sold.、Um, we may buy our motorhome this weekend, so that's exciting. I'll keep you posted on that. We've had it inspected and it's mostly great, and we're just waiting for a few other、um, things to come back through. On Saturday, I had our neighbor Chris over. We, we recorded for the fourth episode, so he would be my third guest, and I was just blown away by it. I mean, all of the conversations I've had so far, I've been. Blown away. They're just—I don't know. It's—it's it's just been so beautiful, 
how it's all unfolding and you know I mean I don't really have a, a plan or a script or you know sometimes I'd make a few notes here and there or on paper or just in my head but mostly I just wanted to flow organically and I want it to be you know just spontaneous and and free just like how I would like my life to be I'm just surprised by by the stories that come up and all the the sentiments and the tears and the laughter and it's just been magical you guys and I was telling my soul sister Calibri and my husband Sam too that this uh, seems to have a life of its own now you know I just yeah I adore how how I get to co-create with with the people that I have on at the show so the first week of the podcast my heart is just so full and expanding I received so many comments and messages from people who have listened to the podcast and yeah just thank you guys wow Calibri Keith Mitchy Alice Angelina Amit Ravka Penny and Jason and Steve and Amy thank you for sending your love and support it gives me so much joy to hear that you're enjoying the podcast I've added the podcast now to Google Podcasts so if you guys if some of you use that you can find us there I'm still working on getting it onto other platforms thank you for your patience it is with great pleasure that I share with you today my conversation with my good friend Rabka we talk about forgiveness and compassion for ourselves and others and this is such an important topic for lack of a better word it's one that's uh, that I hold close to my heart and I'm, I'm just so grateful that we that we were able to talk about that and Rabka has some amazing stories I know you'll enjoy this one Greetings everyone, welcome to the podcast, The Harmony of Stories. I have Arabka here today, she's a very good friend of mine, and I'm so excited to have her on. I met Arabka at the Frisco Farmer's Market, she is Shemay's wife, um, he was on the very first episode of my podcast, and I asked her if she knew where I could get some raw milk where I could find some raw milk. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. And I think I had my little baby on my back at you the time. Did. And yeah, I was looking for the milk for her. Um, and we just started talking about raw milk and traditional cooking and ancient grains and sourdough and healing in natural ways. Organic. 
produce. Yeah, organic <laughs> produce. They had the best honey that I've ever had, the wildflower honey. Yes, amazing. And, yeah, every time I would go back to that um, farmer's market, Grabka was always so cheerful, and I really looked forward to that. And and that was years ago now, and we stayed in touch through email and text messaging, and now we both live in Kentucky. And the reason why we're here is because they talked us out of <laughs> buying a very expensive home in Texas and yeah so that was very life-changing and now we live about two hours away from each other and they live here in Stanton and I was just talking to Shimei and we were talking about your your nest that you want to build oh, here yes and so if you could speak to that he was saying that you want to well I guess I'll, I'll let you um, talk about your, your vision for that and your, yeah, where your heart is on that, your passion, what you want to share with people in this place. Well, um, to talk about my nest, I would have to go back to when I didn't have a nest or when I didn't have, uh, a very st stable nest, I guess you would say. I mean, you can always have a nest anywhere, but um, we had sold our farm in Texas, and we were actually living in a uh, an RV uh, coach and um, traveling some, but mostly we were still uh, based in Texas. And um, we had ended up taking a road trip up to New York. And um, we had to pass through Kentucky to get back to Texas. And I was asleep in the, in the back of the coach. And I guess I woke up and still in the area. And Shami, um said, Honey, would you turn your computer on and um, just pull up some statistics about Kentucky? Mm -hmm. So he was telling me what to look for, and I was telling him as he was driving, and we got back to Texas, and within a couple of weeks, or maybe less, he started telling me how he had felt very drawn to Kentucky on that trip, and to this specific area that we're located in now. Um, he had... Um, already been doing a little bit of research on it and, you know, what the availability of, of uh, properties were and things like that. And so we started looking because I'm game, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm flexible. I've learned uh, through my relationship and marriage with Shamay to be quite flexible. <laughs> and um, so... We probably shopped online and looked around for maybe a month or so. And um, we weren't really telling anybody, I guess, because I hadn't told you, I, I suppose, until you told me that y'all had bought this property out there um, in, was it... I don't remember the name. Yeah. It was two but, hours away from yeah, McKinney anyway. Right. So, and about two hours or hour and a half from where we were located. Was it Mineola? Mineola. Yes. Yeah. So, um, when you texted me and told me that, I was like, no, they might love Kentucky. <laughs> I'm like, Chamay. Um, 
Francis and Sam have bought a property in Minneola. And he's like, no. <laughs> so uh, he said, what's her number? So I think he called you. He did and call meanwhile, us. I was texting you, have you signed the contract, whatever. And so he got a hold of you, and here you are. But um, you guys arrived here before we did. Yeah. And uh, we had um, been... Actually, I think maybe we had already bought the property, had we? I think you were no, you hadn't we bought had it not, in October. No. You were negotiating, we were negotiating about it. Okay. Yeah. So um, when we arrived, we were looking, and um, we couldn't find the right spot. I mean, we had an idea of a minimum number of acres that we would need to. Um, do what our vision has been for a while, which is to build out a facility that would accommodate a fairly large number of people to do Father's Feasts that are spoken of in Leviticus. So, um, but we felt like we could do it on maybe 10 to 12 acres, and that was pretty much what we were looking for, as far as that would have to be allocated. So, um we were looking and we found a house that was it was okay it was it was a very pretty house but it only had 30 acres and that wasn't really enough to do for what we were wanting to do for our home as well as for the feast plus we wanted to gift our children some acres as well if they were interested in a sustainable lifestyle so we didn't sign that contract and we kept looking and um, he decided that he, well, I'll just tell you what he said. Okay. We were sitting there in the coach, and he said, um, I really feel like Father wants you to have a nest. <laughs> and I just started squalling <laughs> because I kind of felt like I'd been for lack of a better word, drug here and there, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I had not complained. And he and he told me that. He said, you have been willing to go here and there with me. We had lived in Central America. And he said, you've never complained. And, you know, you're in an RV. But he said, I just really feel like that you need a nest. And it touched my heart because... It was like, a father knows that I want a nest. What that would look like, you know, in practicality was out there because I did, it was a very big surprise that he was even saying that. Because <laughs> I pictured that for the rest of our lives, we would probably be living in a motorhome. Really? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And traveling and just teaching people individually or maybe teaching groups and be there for a week to a month or whatever. And we still do plan to travel and do that. But um, to have a home that would be called my own was a different thing. So, um, yeah, that's how that came about. And um, what do I think that that would look like or what do I want to accomplish um really we have facilities here that we're building out that will accommodate 
what at first I thought would be done out of the home, uh, which would be teaching cooking and sewing to the women who had an interest in that, cooking organically and healthfully, Mm -hmm. as well as sewing. Um, So the home has actually more become my living space and periodically having guests in and out or someone who needs a place to hang for a little bit um, while they decide what they're doing and where they're going. Um, And the cooking and facility part of it will be in the cabin that is the larger cabin. Was it the first one that's right on the... The log-looking one? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like almost is right on the edge of this uh cliff. So uh, we'll be building that out to be to accomplish those goals of being able to have room for a number of women at one time to be in there moving around and having space to work and carrying out their specific responsibilities for um, putting together, you know, an organic meal of whatever type and learning the basics and maybe some even not-so-basic stuff. And then the other room (coughs) will be... um, for a, a sewing room, it, we will probably have somewhere in the neighborhood of eight to ten machines wow. to be able to teach that many people at one time uh, the basics of of construction of clothing. Yeah. So yeah. That's, wow. That's the goal of my nest. I love that, and we we love coming here. It's so beautiful and you always make such a feast (laughs) (laughs) we enjoy having you always on the way here jack was saying jack is my eight-year-old son he was saying oh i'm hungry now and i said well um ravka was planning to have lunch at one and he said oh i think i was suggesting like oh you know maybe you can have a little snack of something maybe you can have some of your chocolates and she and he said Oh, Ravka will have something. Ravka will have something for us. <laughs> I thought that was so sweet. You mean as a snack before yeah. the meal? Yeah. Oops. Well, I didn't I mean, catch that, but Sam was giving him some oh, pieces of bread, yeah. so was just he was managing to snack. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot to even you know ask yeah. and accommodate that, but he yeah. seemed to be fine. Yeah. Well, I certainly would have and could have if I had known. I didn't realize he was hungry. You made some awesome bread, by the way. Thank you. I'm so proud of myself. I'm proud of you, too. (laughs) Thank you. Well, before, when I was thinking about speaking with you, what I am really curious about, and this might be not so easy to to answer, you might have to think a little bit, but I'm just, I'm curious, I wanted to ask you, you know, who is Ravka? And who... Yeah, just I mean, you're. I, I've I've known you for a few years, but I I want to know some stories about about your life. How maybe, far back do you want to yeah, go? Far. Well, <laughs> maybe you can tell me some stories from your childhood, or from any whichever time. Well, um. If I go back to my childhood, um, you know, there were good and bad parts of my childhood, which I think 
many people have that same experience. It's not always a perfect upbringing, perfect family life, but um, my father was an alcoholic, and he um, he had periods of sobriety, but would always end up relapsing and going back into that anywhere from a year long of a spurt of pretty much drinking every day and being drunk every day. Um, those times were very difficult for me because they were times of insecurity because he he would, um, when he would drink, he would generally become angry. Mm. Like when he was not drinking, he was a fun person to be around, a joker. He could tell stories that would just, you would just have your mouth open like, seriously, did that really happen? Tall tales? And, well, um, I think some of them may have been tall tales, but it was things that he had heard, stories he had heard okay. that were just pretty unbelievable. But when he would tell of his own life, you know, they were very credible stories. But he was just fun. He was fun. And, um, yeah. But when he would drink, it would be a whole different story. And my mother was very religious, and she would often be found um, for an hour at a time whenever the um, sun would be setting and my dad wasn't home yet, she would begin to get a little fearful. Um, he wasn't unknown to spend a night in jail from being picked up. Weaving on the road, you know, making a hazard for himself and others. Um, so um, I would find her in the bedroom on her knees, and she might be there for probably probably no more than an hour. But an hour is a long time to be on your knees praying. And, and he always came home, um, not always happy and not always sound. <clears throat> but he would come home. Um, and I remember one point where he decided he needed help. So he actually checked into like a rehab kind of place for alcoholism, which I guess back then that wasn't very common. Um, I had never even heard of such a place before, but I was really excited that you know, there might be an end to this instability and fear um, of the episodes when he would come home angry and, you know, throwing things and actually sometimes hitting my mother <clears throat> or drawing blood sometimes even. And um, sometimes he would even do things like, you could hear him yelling and he would be threatening her with divorce, but she was very committed. She would never have divorced him, but he would be threatening her with divorce. And then he would say, and we're going to get the kids up right now and make them choose which one of us they're going to go with. Goodness. Oh, and I would just quake. I would lay there in the bed and just quake and think, oh, well, I love my dad so much because I did really love him very, very much. Yeah. Especially when he was sober. Yeah. But um, I also loved my mother, and I knew that the fault was not hers. 
And um, so I, I would make my mind up that when he asked me, I was going to choose my mother, you know. And those were very insecure times because I never had to make the choice, but I was making it. Yeah. And um, those were, it was difficult. So anyway, by the time I was a teenager, I was, um, um, I guess, depressed, for lack of a better word. Um, I would have considered myself more melancholy. I wrote a lot, a lot of poetry and prose that, um, I, where I was able to get it out yeah. of myself. And when I would go back years later and look at it, I was like, whoa, I was really depressed. And when I went to college, then all of that changed because I was out of that environment. Even though I knew back home he still was drinking, because when he checked into that rehab, it didn't work. What happened? He, he, I don't know if he didn't stay long enough, or often rehabs don't work. Maybe they'll get you dry for, you know, a period of time. But yeah. if you don't resolve those bottom line issues, right. or if you don't somehow make some determination, or if there's not some paradigm shift in your life, you're likely to resort back to self-medication. So um, here I was in college, and I found myself much more up. And I realized after a while that I didn't have that need to write poetry and prose anymore. Wow. And I was like, wow, because I kind of enjoyed doing it, but I didn't feel the urge or the need, and, and it would flow anyway. It wasn't like I could just say, oh, I'm going to sit down and write write something, you know? Yeah. It had to come out of yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. And it just wasn't coming out of me. So um, after, I guess, my first year, then that second year, I um, had met a guy that I was just really enthralled with. He was deaf, and um, but he was also just so sweet. He was just a kind person, and his eyes would light up. He was just like, kind of like a newborn baby. <laughs> he just seemed wow. so innocent yeah. and loving and kind, and mm. everybody loved him. And he was interested in me. You know, and I was just like, wow. And so he was teaching sign language, and I guess we had been dating three weeks, and I wasn't dating anybody else, and he wasn't dating anybody else either. And um, he told me that he loved me. And I remember writing him, I love you too. And um, I actually, we were sitting together at dinner, and I wrote it on his leg. (laughs) <laughs> I love you too. Well, in about three or four days, I got a, a little piece of mail that said, um, my mentors, basically more or less, my mentors feel that um, I am too soon out of a serious relationship to be going back into a serious relationship. So um, I'm going to... Um, not be dating just any one particular person right now, and I'm not going to be dating you anymore. He kind of left it open-ended a little bit, 
but it just crushed me because I had opened my heart up yeah. and had given it to him and quickly. And all of a sudden, it just seemed like my my emotions were just crashing in on me. And I remember just running to one of the the empty rooms. I had picked it up in the evening, and I just ran up to the area where my my um, classes were. Nobody was in in there, and clo- I went found a chair, closed the door, and wrote a poem. And I'm like, man, it's been so long. (laughs) And I realized at that point, wow, I was, that poetry and prose flowed out of pain and suffering. And here I am in pain and suffering. And so it is flowing. So it was nice to be able to let it out, but I didn't like the pain. No. And so consequently, I had, um, I reacted very badly to that situation. And, you know, all these years I have felt bad because he was such a nice guy and I would never speak to him again. And whenever he would be in the, my proximity, like we would be in this, in the, there was a the little eatery was called the Happy Corner. And it was not a really large place. So yeah. if any two people were in there, you knew it. Yeah. Um, out and about on the campus was large, but mm. we would invariably end up in the happy corner together, and I would just ignore him so badly. Would he try and speak? To he you? never came up to me to try to speak to me, but you know, I had thorns sticking out all over me as <laughs> yeah. soon as he walked in my proximity, but because I was still hurt, yeah, I was, you know, I was angry. At his mentors <laughs> for counseling him this way and breaking my heart. Yeah. And I was angry at him. Um, it took me a while to get over it. And I dated a lot. I dated many, many guys when I was in college. But that one guy really impacted me. Um and really, Shamay is a lot like him, except that Shamay's not dead. <laughs> and he doesn't look like him. This guy was tall and blonde-headed, and Shamay's not so tall. Um, and this guy had very bright blue eyes, and Shamay's are more greenish blue. But as far as that kind, loving person yeah. that is in that body, um, Shamay is very much I think these two guys are very much similar and it's interesting that this is even coming up because um a while ago Shamay and I had talked about this about this guy's name Steve and um he had asked he said why don't you try to find him and apologize to him <laughs> for the way you treated him and I was like Oh, you know, I was really bad. I should. <laughs> and I tried to find him, and I couldn't. So recently, though, oh. um, we were on a trip. We had gone to uh, South Carolina to the beach. And on the <laughs> way back, I saw this sign. Oh, oh, a truck was driving by, and it said, M-I-L-L-I-S, Millis. And it caught my attention because usually it's Willis. 
you know, okay. not Millis, <laughs> but that caught my attention. And then that made me think about one of the girls that was in the deaf college at my school, and her name was Millie. Only huh. Millie I've ever known. Okay. And so that made me think, and what was her last name? I thought, I couldn't remember. And I thought, well, she, she had a brother in the college, and, and his name was Reggie. And I'm thinking, I, I, I wonder if I could remember their names. And it was bugging me. I wasn't even thinking about Steve. But that was bugging me. And so, like, two days later, I remembered their last name. And I'm like, ah, yeah. So I Googled, and he came up. And he had uh, moved, he had, like, developed, uh, is it a college for the deaf, I think? Really? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's uh, pretty significant. And um, so then I thought, oh, maybe I can find Steve that way, too. So I typed his name, and deaf university or deaf school or something like that, and he came up. I have found him. Oh, my him. gosh. I haven't told Shawnee yet, but I have drafted a letter. I, I'm not through with it because I feel like it hasn't expressed the depth of my uh, situation. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm going to repent to him after all wow. these years. And that has been... This would have been 1976 that I was creating this offense. And, you know, I've repented, you know. I'm very sorry that I ever acted that way. And I've known that it was about rejection and pain and ache in my heart. Um, But I, I do feel that it's important to wherever we've hurt anybody to be able to go back and say, I'm sorry, because if they were hurt, maybe, maybe they've never gotten over that hurt. Yeah. And maybe they need that touch. Um, in my relationship with Shamay, we have had, I don't know if I've shared this with you before, but we have had the opportunity to have a lot of people hurt us, to do things that, that are unethical or uh-huh. and wrong, that have hurt us. And Shame would always be very quick to forgive. And I found that I didn't forgive so easily as he yeah. does. And he would just tell me, you know, it's a choice. You just choose to forgive. You let that person off the hook. It's really between them and Father. And um, even if they never repent to you, you let it go. And it's not back there niggling in Mm. your psyche. So he has helped me tremendously to be able to walk in forgiveness in my life. And I may have shared this part with you, but I'll share it with you again if I haven't. I had gone through a period of severe trauma um, back in 2013 and 14. And following that, I ended up with some eczema. And I was just like, I can get rid of this. And I tried all the natural things that you can think of. And not changing my diet like Mm -hmm. you guys did. But um, 
I did work some with diet. I even fasted on water only for 21 days, yes, and it didn't go that. away. Okay. Well, after that, um, I started eating again, and it just got worse and worse and worse till it was really, really bad. And so I went to a sclerologist in Conroe, Texas, and she looked at my eyes, and what they do is they take a very... Um, uh, what would you call it? Not professional, but uh, very detailed with a very good camera picture of your eye. And then they blow it up on their computer and they can find, they can read all sorts of stuff in the sclera of your eye, the white part okay. of your eye. Wow. Oh, she can tell you all sorts of stuff. Like? I'm like, okay, like she found, um, she showed me this little grayish spot in my sclera. She said, that's mold. I'm like, what? Where is it? And she told me where it was in my body, and she told me what to do. And so um, I was doing it, and when I went back, sure enough, it was clearing out. It was in my kidneys now. So it was exiting through the exiting systems. Wow. So, yeah, stuff like that. She could also identify some mineral deficiencies. Uh, I was pretty mineral deficient, which goes hand-in-hand with the stress. Yeah. You just deplete magnesium and whatever. I was, yeah, she had me on all sorts of, uh, she doesn't try to like give you a lot of supplements out of a bottle. Mm-hmm. She more like, she wants to do it through food. So she was having me, you know, eat certain things. Who is this lady? Again? Her name is Claire Bridges. Claire Bridges. Uh-huh. In Conroe. Conroe, Texas. Con- oh, she's in Texas. Uh-huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, her is a third generation, um, uh, outfit. It's actually a health food store called Healthy Living. Her, I think her grandmother maybe started it, and then her mother, or maybe her mother and she started it together. And then Claire was, uh, I'm not sure at what point she became involved in it, but um, she's she's got a lot of uh, certificates on her wall, let's say that. Okay. And um Shamay could tell you more about her history and how, like, she's, I can't even tell you, but, like, one of the few sclerologists in the States, or maybe the one of the top sclerologists in the States, but she's very good at what she does. So, back to where I was going with this, uh, on my first visit, she's, she's looking there, and she leans back in her chair, and she looks at me, and she tears up. And I'm looking at her, and she goes, I just want to tell you, she said, um, only one out of 300 of my clients does not have a line of bitterness in their sclera. She said, you don't have one. And I'm like, oh, cool. And I looked at her, and I said, I work very hard at forgiveness because, you know, I've I've been hurt a lot in my life, yeah. and um, I I choose to walk in forgiveness, and she, and she's you know crying, and so it's making me cry. And Shamay's just really excited that you know that's wow. exhibiting because he's worked with me so much, yeah, to work through things in my life. So um, he ended up uh, maybe two or three weeks later letting her look at his eyes. And she was like, oh, my, you're not going to believe this. She said, you don't have a line of bitterness either. <laughs> this is incredible. I know. But it's um, it's that choice of letting things go 
and not carrying them in your body. And so I guess that's why I want to have that, not necessarily closure with Steve, but to, if, if there is something back there niggling at him and saying, you know, I thought she was a really nice girl. But she was really rude to me the rest of our years in college. You know, she would never speak to me again. And maybe that uh, that was an offense that he yeah. needs some some closure himself on. I don't know. Who knows? But um, so I've kind of meandered around, which is typical of myself. Um, so those are some early stories of my life that kind of incorporate some later stories of my life. I really enjoyed so. that story. Wow. <laughs> So, so are, you, are you going to write to him? Or are you going to go and see him? Um, I don't plan to go see him. I think he is in, I'm going to say it's Tennessee. Um, I think I feel, feel more comfortable right. writing him because yeah. the sign language that I did learn would not be anywhere sufficient to even begin to communicate with him. Yeah. You know, that... Um, <sighs> Well, wow, I mean, he might fall <laughs> off his chair, you know, to hear from you, right? You should write, write a little warning on the envelope. <laughs> Make sure you're sitting down for that. <laughs> wow. Maybe. But, yeah, I plan to just write, um, I'll probably handwrite it and mail it to him at his, his work. Cause, because of where he works, I have the address, you know, because he is actually working in a, I think it's a college. Or maybe it's a high school, I'm not sure. But it is a it is a teaching facility that he and I think he's in the administration from what I remember. I was just more excited about being able to type that letter up uh, yeah. than actually giving the data of what he does. But so yeah. Um my life is I guess a lot about Forgiveness, but is aren't we all? Aren't all of our lives? Yeah, about forgiveness. And yeah, I when you were telling me that story, and when you were saying Shemay was, you know, um, sharing with you that it's a choice whether to let something go or not. I I probably read that somewhere or heard it somewhere, but it was so hard for me to forgive. Like, really hard. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't understand how people could do it so easily. I just, I couldn't get it. And I didn't really realize how angry, how much anger I had and resentment I had inside me. Mm -hmm. And when my father died two summers ago, it felt like I had... I had generations of, it really felt like generations of anger just surfaced. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what to do with it. Nobody taught me. Because I grew up in a culture and in a family culture where it was not, I did not feel that it was safe to express big emotions. Mm -hmm. Because it would make people very uncomfortable. Um, my dad didn't like it when we cried. Really? For example, he would say, stop crying. Mm. And it was not his fault, but that's how it was. And so I had a lot of things that I suppressed, and I shape-shifted a lot to, mm. you know, um, to, fit. to fit in and to 
I guess I perceived that that's how I would be accepted or loved. Mm-hmm. And um, so I had all this anger. There's a, a man named Gabor Mate. I'm not sure if that's how you say his name. But I saw a video of him where he explained that when we, ex- when we suppress emotion, it takes a lot of energy. And it's like when you have a beach ball and you try and push it down into the ocean right and how much you have energy. to stay on it <laughs> yeah you have to be on it yeah it's really yeah and then i guess when you run out of energy one day it's gonna pop up and that's basically what happened i mean there were times during my life especially after i had children where i would some of that would kind of you know the pressure would just and i would have this kind of reaction where i would you know blow out in anger and, and then i'd be like where on earth did that come from you know i guess when your coping mechanisms, you know, when it's not enough anymore to to hold on to that. But when my father died, I had all of that come up. Did you? And I, it was eating me up, and I knew that. And I pretty much hated everybody. Not everybody, but you know what I mean. I had to really close off from the world because I was so disappointed with what was going on with COVID. And, right. You know, um... That was even also a big mirror for me of my own disconnection to myself, seeing how everyone was so disconnected. Yes. I know it bothered you. Yeah, and so um, I it was really eating me up, and I couldn't. I found that I could just I couldn't let it go, mm-hmm. and I was struggling so much that I just surrendered and asked for help. I said, "Lord, help me! Please help me with this," because I. I don't want to carry this anymore. And um, uh, back in September of last year, I connected with somebody on Instagram. Mm -hmm. His name's Michael. And he was writing these comments on a post um, of someone that I follow called Alex Zep. And his comment were essays. Instead of mm-hmm. the usual one mm-hmm. or two liners, and right. I, I was really drawn to it because you know people still write like this, <laughs> and right. it was just so well articulated, and you know he, I resonated with what he was saying a lot, and I just felt very strongly that I I had to connect with him in some way. I didn't have any explanation for it. I just felt compelled to, and so I did, and we started chatting with each other. And um, and he was sending me all these songs, and they would make me cry. Each one would make me cry. It felt like my heart was kind of slowly opening up. And and then he mentioned a lyric to a song, and the words were, "Little you and I." And for some reason, that the that phrase triggered a memory, but it was not from this life. And it was of me and Michael as little children, and we were playing on this meadow or this little field, and there was a big tree that we were running around, and I could see the the breeze, you know, the grass dancing with the breeze, and we were running barefoot. Hmm. And in this memory, I felt so much joy. And it brought me to tears because I forgot how to feel that kind of joy. You know, I see it when I watch my children play, mm-hmm. and I'm happy for them, but I'm also sad for my 
myself because mm-hmm. I feel like it was unreachable. And I longed for it. And then all of a sudden I felt it in this memory. And it just, it, I broke down. Um, and uh, and I was just, I couldn't believe it because I never really explored that idea of a past life or a different timeline or whatever it was. You know, it wasn't obviously not from, you know, our clothes were not of this time. And then a couple of weeks after that, I went to the flea market in London mm-hmm. to buy some buckets because I ordered this 25 bag of salt, 25 pound bag of salt, and I needed to put the salt somewhere. <laughs> and so, and my friend Tia told me, if you go to London in the flea market, there's a man who sells them there for like a dollar to three dollars a bucket. And right now in Lowe's, it's like five dollars, mm-hmm. right? So I'm like, yeah, I'm going. So I went there, and um, I went by myself. Usually the kids are with me, but it was a Saturday, and I said, I'll just run there quickly, and while I'm there, I'll go to the music store because there's, like, a stall there that had guitars, and I was looking for a new guitar. And so I went over there, and the moment I walked in, it just felt different. And there was a man there, um, and I learned later that his name is Ted, and his friends call him T. And I just started chatting with him, like, hey, how's it going? And and uh, I said, I'm going to go and look at some guitars. And so I went to have a look, and then I came back. And then um, when I came back, he's, he showed me this guitar that he'd been working on. It looked brand new because he'd polished the, you know, mm. he took all the strings out, and he polished the, the, the fretboard. And, and I'm like, how did you do that? It looks brand new. And he said, oh, I used this orange oil. And we just mm-hmm. kind of spoke about that. And I asked him if he would play something for me on, you know, an instrument. And he said, yeah, sure. And so I said, okay, choose your guitar. And um, and he said, actually, I'm going to choose a ukulele. <laughs> and um, I said, okay, sure. And so he brings a ukulele and he starts to play something. And, and then he said, oh, you know what? I don't remember. It was something I composed and I can't remember it. And I surprised myself because I asked him, can I sing something for you? And so he didn't sing. Or no, play. he didn't sing. He played a little bit. I did play a little, a little bit. And um, so I, and he said, "Yeah, sure." And you know, I was previously very shy about singing to other people, but it's something that I've been working on yes. um, for many years. But I felt comfortable enough to offer to sing to him. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to tune it. I borrowed his tuner. I was trying to tune it, and it wouldn't stay in tune. Hmm. It would tune for a second, and then it would go out of tune. And so I said, "Would you?" Uh, the old me would have either abandoned the whole thing, or I would have just tried to make do. Mm-hmm. But I just felt so different that day. I felt like something else was driving me or carrying me through it. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, "You know what? This is not working for me. Do you think you could find me a different one?" And he said, absolutely, no problem. And so he goes off, and then he brings back this uh, two ukuleles to choose from. And one of them, instead of the circle in the middle of the instrument, there was a butterfly carved into it. And so I knew immediately, butterfly, I love butterflies. So I chose that one, and it tuned beautifully. And so I start singing, and I had barely started, and he was staring at me like he'd seen a ghost or something. And it looked like he was going to cry. But it didn't put me off. I just kept on singing. It was just like, 
very surreal. I was just, I was not put off or phased by people walking in or out. I was just constantly in the song. And he kept getting called away by his grandfather who owned the store. You know, come and help this customer as if I wasn't a customer. It was really strange. It felt like me and T were like in our own little bubble. And so he um, he goes off to help someone else and I keep singing and he would come back and he would go off again and I finished the song and so I went to find him and um, he was putting away a, another guitar that someone had used and and I said hey you know how, how's it going and, and I saw that he'd been crying mm-hmm. and he said to me I feel you know he was struggling to describe how he was feeling he said mm-hmm. I, you make me feel a certain way but not in a romantic way or anything and it's it's as if you would make the best um, wife and mother and grandmother. You know, he was just saying all these things, and I'm like, wow. And um, and I said, you know, I don't really understand what's going on because you know, I I told him what happened a couple of weeks before that was very strange to me, and I said, I think uh, weird things are going on in my life right now. I don't understand it. Um. And then he gets called away again. So he says, I I don't really know what's going on, but I just know that maybe we should keep in touch. And so I'm going to go and do this thing and I'll write my number down for you. And so he goes off. And I wait there with my buckets and holding them like this. And, and I wait for a long time and I said, I, I just got to go home now. And so I go and find him and, and he says, oh, I'm really sorry, and he scrambles around, he looks for a piece of paper and a pen that barely worked, and he hands it to me, and then he had to go off again, and so I'm like, I guess I'm going to write my number down. So I got my name and my number down, and I go and find him, and this time he had a minute, you know, and so I gave that to him, and he held it up like this, and he said, what is this? I feel like I've known you for a hundred years, and it was, I felt the same way. It's okay. I felt the same way, and um, we hugged, and then I and then I left, and then I got got in the car, and it was this spontaneous thing. I just started crying my eyes out. The drive was thirty five minutes long. The entire drive home, I was crying like I've never cried before. Kind of like an emptying out. Yeah, it was deep, you know, and very cathartic. But when it was happening, it was almost too much that I was screaming and swearing and really hitting the wheel because what I saw that was happening and felt that was happening was there was this great waterfall of of love that was just washing over me. And it was so much. And what it was doing is it was cracking my heart open. I could like see my heart with this crack on it and, and light was coming into my heart and light was coming out of it. And I could feel it like opening and it was so not painful, but you know, it was, it was so much. There was, I don't even know the, what, how to describe it. It was just, I had to, I was just crying and, and I knew that that was only a glimpse of the love that it came from, you know, the, love that's mm-hmm. the source of it and that was all that I could take in at that time or had the capacity to take mm-hmm. in and as I arrived home and I parked the car and I just kind of sat back and 
And then I realized I'm not angry anymore. <laughs> I'm wow. not angry anymore. How beautiful. Yeah. And I've been wanting to share that with you. And, you know, I said I would write it down, but I never did. And um, so that was an answered prayer. Oh, yes. I could not <clears throat> find a way that I might be able to forgive before that. But it, I felt so much lighter. It was like it was bliss, you know. It was very peaceful. And I just didn't even realize how how much I was holding and um, so yeah, it's a lot, and I really admire you for the work that you've been doing, and also Shimei, because, you know, I mean, yeah, to choose something is one thing, but to, I mean, you, it, it's not, I'm sure it wasn't a flick of a switch for no. you. No, it wasn't, and before I even met Shimei, there was, um, <clears throat> I was married previously to my children's father. And um, it wasn't going very well. And I had a friend who had gone to counseling uh, to a, a guy at the Presbyterian Fellowship there in Dallas. And she said um, he doesn't charge for his, his services. She said he's a retired missionary, and he just does it right there at the fellowship out of his office. He counsels people. And she said, um, he's worked with me and it's really helped me. She said, I think you should go. So um, I went and probably on about the third session, he said, um, tell me about your father. So I started telling about my father, kind of like what I've shared with you. Um, and he said, um, you need to forgive your father. And I said, oh, I've forgiven my father. He said, no, you haven't forgiven your father. And I said, mm, yeah, I've forgiven my father. And he's like, no, you haven't. And I'm like, how do you know? He said, because I'm sitting here looking at you. He said, as you've been telling this story, he said, look at you, you're, you're squalling. He said, you, you you still got stuff going on in there. He said, um, you need to forgive your father. And I said, well, I, you know, I thought I had. I said, so I don't know how then. He said, well, I'm going to give you a little exercise. Um, you can do it between now and the next session that we had. And uh, just try it and see what happens. He said, it, it can work. So he had told me what to do. So I went home and um, found, you know, according to his protocol, found myself in the home alone. This was, um, you know, I hadn't even been pregnant yet, so I hadn't had any children yet. Just a lot of conflict in my marriage. And um, he says, he had told me to um, get in a quiet space. So I chose my bedroom, laid down on the bed, and um, opened up this suitcase, imaginary suitcase that he had told me to open up, and put all of my, those wounded memories into that suitcase. He said, everything you can think of, from my father, because yeah. we're working with father, um, put it all in that suitcase, and when you're done, close it up, lock it, 
And he said, and then pick it up, and you're going to fly out over the ocean. And he said, when you get out over that ocean in a deep place, you're going to let that go. And you're not going to pick it back up. He said, our wounds are like carrying a, a heavy purse that's got lots of rocks in it. Yeah. And, and you're carrying it down here by your leg. And every time you walk, it bangs up against your leg. And it's, he said it keeps a sore leg. He said because they're, they're bugging you. They're, they're hurting you still. You haven't dealt with them. You need to get rid of those rocks in that purse. And this is how you're going to do it. So I did it. And I felt an amazing release. I really felt that I had forgiven my father, and I was good. And so I went back and told him, and everything was great. And maybe a year went by. No, it would have been longer because the kids were born already by then. So several years went by. And my dad and mother came um, to visit me in Texas. They lived in Georgia. And somehow my dad and I ended up, driving together, I think maybe one of the kids was with us. And he told me, he said, Honey, um, I've repented to your mother, and he said, I'm going to repent to all of you girls for the alcoholism, the things that I did when I was an alcoholic. Because by now he had been, and that's a whole other story, uh, he had been delivered from the alcoholism. And um, it's a pretty quick story, so I'll tell it. So I was in my third year of college, and I had been praying for my dad. Because he was still drinking. And he was still hurting my mom. And he was still hurting my two younger sisters that were still there. Maybe not physically, but emotionally. Yeah. And so I had gathered my dorm mates. We would have like, uh, it was a small dorm that I lived in. And so we would have like monthly meetings. And if you had a prayer request, you could you could ask it. So I have finally felt comfortable enough in my own skin to air this skeleton in my closet. And so I brought it out and I told everybody about my alcoholic father and would everyone please pray for him. And we prayed for him and I guess that went on. I continuously asked it maybe for several months. I want to say three, maybe four. And one day I just felt it on my heart that I was supposed to write my father and confront him. Nobody confronted my father. He, you just did it. (laughs) Yeah. And I wrote him a letter. And basically, I I don't remember a lot of the rest of it other than why. Why do you do this? That was my question. (sighs) Sent the letter, didn't hear back from him. When I would call to talk to my mom or dad, nobody said anything about the letter. And I was like, okay. So, at, um, I think it was one of the holidays. I had gone home, and Daddy and I were sitting together in the living room, just us two. And I'm like, well, it's probably now or never. 
So I said, hey, Daddy, did you get my letter? He said, yes, honey, I got your letter. And I said, well, um, in my letter, I asked you why. He said, well, it's because your mother doesn't love me. And I said, what? That was just like, hasn't she shown you her love in 22 years of my life? So 26 years of yeah. marriage together, maybe more. Of staying with you through thick and thin? That she loves you? I didn't say that, but I'm thinking this. Yeah. And I said, oh, Daddy. Oh, no. My mother completely loves you. And he goes, no, she doesn't. And I said, what makes you say that? And he said, well, because she married me, because she thought I was going to be a missionary with her. And that's all. She just married me because she thought I was going to be a missionary with her. It's not because she loves me. I said, that's just ridiculous. I'm sorry, but I know my mother loves you. And I said, but regardless from all that, I said, you know when you get up the next day after an alcoholic drinking, drunken binge, that pain is still going to be there. He goes, I know, honey, I know, but I can forget for a little while. That's self-medication. I'd never heard of self-medicating before, but when I heard of self-medicating, I was like, my dad did that. Yeah. Well, it wasn't very long, maybe three months, that he quit drinking. And I like to think that my confrontation of him and reassuring from a third party that she does love you yeah. maybe helped. He never told me, but my mother told me that he quit drinking, and I'm like, he's quit drinking a few times in our life, Mama. She said, no, this time it's for good. I said, how do you know? She said, well, he said that he decided that he just couldn't do it alone, so he prayed for help. <gasps> she said he was totally set free from it and has not had an urge to drink since, and oh she said, God. I don't believe he will ever again, and he never did. He never took another sip of alcohol. So... Fast forward now, I, I'm guessing, I don't know, five years, and he's telling me this, and he's like, I just need to ask you to forgive me for all the things that I did when I was drinking, for not taking care of y'all, for not providing for you the way I could have and should have because I was drinking the finances away. I said, oh, Daddy, I've forgiven you a long time ago. He said, well, I appreciate that, honey, but I just needed to tell you. Ask your forgiveness. And um, he said, um, is there anything that you want to tell me that maybe I did while I was, because he was a like, blackout drink, that maybe I did that that I don't know about? And, and I'm like, no, no. Really, I didn't know what he might remember or not remember. But I had forgiven it. It was done for me. Yeah. I didn't have a need to yeah. tell him. And I didn't want him to hurt any more than he'd already hurt. Yeah. He was drinking out of hurt, so I let it go. And um, 
Yeah. So, um, years later, my sisters and I were all together in the attic bedroom of one of my sisters. It may have been at my sis. I had a half sister who died. It was probably at her funeral. And so we're all reminiscing, and somebody tells this story about how my dad had said something just really ugly to her. Now, my dad's still alive. And when when they said this, it was just like, even though I had no recollection of it myself, I could believe it happened. And it was just like a sword in my heart. And I felt this anger just blow up inside of me. And I was just like, oh, I didn't want to touch him. I didn't want to hug him. I didn't even want to be around him again. Oh. Why? No, I just said, oh, oh, well, yeah. I just was that repulsed. And um, I, I pushed through it, though. I went, I was around him again, got through the visit, got home, and shared this with a friend of mine who had been very wounded by her father. And she had had to work through it all, and she had written him a letter of forgiveness to him. And she said, this is how I did it. She said, I chose to forgive. And she said, every time the memories of what he had done to me would come up, I would say, "Mm mm-mm. That's forgiven. She said, I didn't feel the forgiveness at first. She said, but I chose to forgive him because I've been forgiven for much. My father in heaven had forgiven me for a lot. And I am required to forgive if I want to be forgiven. And I'm like, okay, I can do this. So she said that eventually, after some time, she felt the forgiveness in her heart. She said, I, I just had to continue to reinforce it and act as if I had forgiven. And so I'm like, okay, I got it now. I'm going to do it. So I didn't write my dad. I didn't write him and tell him anything about this. I just would call him every weekend because my mom was in a nursing home now. She had Alzheimer's, and so it was just him. I couldn't talk to her anymore. So I'd call him every weekend, just as I had been before it happened, before my knowledge of it happened, and um, chose to forgive him. And every time it would come up, I would do what my friend said. It's forgiven. It is not my baby anymore. It is gone. It's done. It's, It's history. And I found that each week when I talked to him, it got easier and easier and easier. Well, one day, maybe two months later, I was in the break room at work and I was putting um, the quarters in to get myself a (laughs) (laughs) Coca-Cola. And as the money went in and I heard the clink clink of the can coming down, it was like hot oil poured on my head like warm oil yeah on my head and it went down and it hit my heart and I felt this warm fuzzy 
wonderful, loving feeling for my father. Wow. <laughs> it was amazing. Whoa. It was so precious that I just stood there and I started squalling, just crying and crying. Not not like you were with grief and that sort of thing. Because that had, I think I had dealt with all that. I'm not sure. But anyway, I felt like it was Father answering my prayer and my choosing to let that go with a, a physical manifestation. Yeah. I've never had anything like that before or since happen to me. And the VP of the company comes walking by and he goes, what's the matter? What's the matter? And I'm like, oh, nothing, nothing. He goes, oh, somebody has, somebody has done something to hurt you, haven't they? And I'm like, no, no, no. He's like, you need to tell me because I will deal with it. Meaning, you know, yeah. a, a, a co-worker. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. My tears are tears of joy. And he looked at me like I was losing <laughs> my mind. Because, <laughs> like, he's a young VP. Okay. <laughs> and he's looking at me. He's like, are you sure? And I said, I'm, and my mascara is probably running everywhere. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm seriously, I just, I'm good. It's very, very good. Seriously. He said, well, if you change your mind, you come and let me know and I'll deal with them. And I'm like, oh, run on now, please. So he left and I stayed out there a little bit and collected myself and went yeah. back and I was just like, how wonderful. So this was all pre-Shamay. But this was all with my father. Yes. Only just with my father. He was the main wounder in my life. Yeah. You know? Um, I'd gone through a divorce that was very painful, too. And I had grieved that. But father had really helped me with that. I, I chose again to let it go. I did. And... uh choose to be vulnerable again that was the main thing was I wanted to put up walls and never let anybody mm. hurt me like that again but I knew I couldn't do that so I chose to be vulnerable again and in about a year I would say I felt healed again but then with Shamay it took it to a whole new <laughs> level because he just has so much exposure because just the way he is an entrepreneur and he just doesn't meet a stranger and he takes everybody and loves them yeah. and everybody gets a fair shake no matter who's hurt him and he may be holding fire to his bosom somebody who's going to hurt him again and he just he says everybody gets a fair shake Robka. they didn't do anything to me yet he said every single person I meet they are their own person they may hurt me in the future but they have not hurt me yet so I'm going to love them. I'm going to open my heart to them. Wow. I am going to be free with them, no matter who has done what to me in my past. And that's what, through the wounds of these people hurting yeah. us through our marriage, um, that I had been dealing with. And it had collected over like about four or five years. And we were in Central America and I was just like, I've got a deal. I have got to deal. I've just, I've got 
to let this go. And he said, you really do. So he had me stay in the hotel that day, and um, I worked through it. And, uh, you know, subsequent ones have been much easier to walk through. I think as I got more proficient at it, I was more able to, uh, a new thing, you know, to deal with it and let it go. Um, There was one that was particularly difficult um, with his ex-wife. And I was really struggling with that one. He was good. He was walking in forgiveness to her wow. for all the stuff she was doing of trying to take custody of his child. And I was not handling it very well. She was involving my children as well. Gosh. And it was very painful for me. And so I was at a doctor, a holistic doctor, Dr. DeVette out of Tyler. And... Um, I'd gone for something else. And he so he looks at Shame and he goes, well, how's that going with your daughter when y'all were in that car accident? And Shame opened his mouth to, to tell him, and I said, oh, he's doing fine. I am not. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, what's going on with you? And I'm like, you just wouldn't believe all the stuff she's doing. And blah, 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 blah. And he's like, oh, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. He said, you've got to reframe her. And I'm like, hmm? (laughs) He goes, yeah. He said, wounded people wound people. He said, she's hurting. Something in her is hurt. He said, you've got to put a new frame around her. Wow. And love her in spite of what she's doing to you and to y'all. I was like, because ah. Shamay had pretty much been telling me the same thing <laughs> for two years. And um, on the way, we were actually headed to Houston for an, a, a meeting with her and, you know, a counselor who was doing this co-parenting thing. Yeah. And um, I remember looking out the window, he was driving, and uh, the pine trees of Tyler, Texas, were passing by and looking at him. And I'm like, okay. I can do this. Surely I can do this. And so I just worked through it right there. It took maybe 15 or 20 minutes. I reframed her. And I, I felt so good. And I turned around and I looked at Charmaine and I said, oh. I've done it. And he's like, you've done what? And I said, I reframed her. And he said, what? I've been telling you this for two years. I know. We can't always take things from our mates so easily as we can take it from somebody else, honey. Don't be upset. Just be glad I've done it. And he's like, I am. Well, when we got there for that meeting that day, it was put to the test. She was shooting barbs at me and shooting barbs at him. And we were just trying to be kind and loving and set a good example for her. And we were praying for her that her issues could be resolved and that this all could have a happy ending and et cetera. And it was the coolest thing, Frances. No matter what barb she shot at me, it couldn't hit my heart. 
Wow. It couldn't. She could not push a button. The, I had removed the buttons. Oh, my God. They gosh. were gone. And so on the way home, I hadn't told Shemay yet. We got in the car, and we are headed back to the house, a two-hour drive. And I, and I always documented. So I'd take my computer, and I would type up the meetings and everything because I was writing a book about all this. So I was typing it all up, and I said, oh, and by the way, she couldn't push one button today. And I said, it felt so amazing. Wow. I said, that is power. When when people can't push your buttons, that's power. Yeah. I haven't always exercised it, but it was a very intense lesson in a forgiveness, but also understanding people. Compassion. Mm-hmm. And letting them off the hook, so to speak while they work through their issues and loving them in spite of what I like to call as warts. You know, we all have them. Yeah. And um, we're all a work in progress. I, I am a work in progress in front of my great-grandchildren right now. Sometimes I have to go back to them and say, will you forgive me for what I did today? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I did it today with Nyla. She she had done something. She'd gotten in trouble two nights ago, and her <laughs> mom had told me. And so at lunch, I had to air it in front of everybody. <laughs> and she's sitting there and trying to eat. And we're talking about it right there in front of her and everything. And I'm thinking, she's learning from this. <laughs> it's okay to do this. But that night I was thinking, you know what? That's not right. She's vulnerable. And I was probably hurt to her. <laughs> so today, when she came in, I said, Nyla, when we were all talking about you yesterday, or the day before, whatever, um, did that bother you? She goes, yes. Oh. I said, I'm sorry. And and her mother's standing there. And she goes, yeah, I bet that did. I bet that did upset her. And I'm like, I'm sorry, honey. I said, I don't think we should do that anymore, do you? She goes, no. Oh. So, yeah, we're all a work in progress. We can all stand, have room to grow. Oh, my goodness. You are a wonderful grandma. Well, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) (laughs) You've asked for stories, and we're probably at a good point to wind down. What do you think? Yes. I am so grateful. And, yeah, forgiveness is a big one for me, so I'm so glad that we got to talk about that. Yes. And it's interesting that it comes in different packages. Yeah. For me, too. It's come in different ways. Yeah. So I don't think there's one perfect way to do it, but I I think choice does have a lot to do with it because we can hang on to pain if we really want to. Yeah. And there are, you know, sometimes there are reasons why we do that. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's comfortable or We're kind of used to it. Yeah. Oh, well, wow. thank you. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me to sit across from you. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking to you. Well, I, I want there's a question that I want to ask everybody who comes on to the podcast, and so I'll ask that to close. Okay. 
And the question is, if you could tell the world just one thing, what would it be? Well, at this moment in my life, I would, I think that I would say, love Yahweh with all your being. Because he loves us with all. Yeah. He does. Thank you, Ravka. You're welcome. And I love you very much. <laughs> I love you, too. <laughs> I'm so glad you walked up to the market that day. Oh, me too. It, you, you have been such a blessing to us. Thank Likewise. you. All right. That wraps up episode three. I told you that was a good one, right? <laughs> I enjoyed it very much. Every time we visit Rebka and Shimei, Rebka cooks up a feast, and she always has a beautiful spread of food on the table. She is just a wonderful cook. And when we have them over here at our house, she does the same thing. She brings this whole cooler or a bag of food and, and lays it out on the table. And we, we love to, um, to gather and to celebrate with, with delicious food. Good for the body and soul. And one time we, we met up in, uh, at Cumberland Falls and we brought a picnic lunch and it was the same she brought this amazing spread of food and she's just incredible <laughs> we love rabka now last week i forgot to tell you guys that i wanted to just for fun like have a song of the week and i put the song of the week on the description of last week's episode but i just forgot to speak to it so last week's song is Imagine by John Lennon. I was listening to it last week on repeat and I was just crying my eyes out, <laughs> as you do. That was one of my dad's favorite songs and he used to play it on the piano a little bit and I can still remember him singing it. Beautiful song. And this week, my song of the week, which I invite you to listen with me, is Look for the Good. By Jason Mraz. I'll add that on the um, podcast description as well or the show notes. If you're enjoying the podcast, if you're getting a lot out of it, please spread the word. Share it with your friends and family or people you just meet, you know, <laughs> during your day to day travels. You can also find other ways you can support the podcast. On my website, wildflower.cloud, there's a page there called Support My Work. And if you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at wildflower underscore on underscore tour, wildflower on tour. Um, I'm on Telegram as well, and you can get to my channel via the telegram link on my website i'd so love to hear from you 
I believe on Spotify there's also a um, an option where you can ask questions and leave messages. So we can uh, try that out, play around with it. Also on the journal part of my website, I'm gonna post a couple of video clips which I recorded uh, the last time we were at Brad Pinch and Ace for the podcast recording. I took a clip of us driving in so you could kind of see where, you know, what it looks like where they live. And I also, I believe, took a short video clip of, of the food that we had for lunch, that beautiful spread of food. I hope you guys have a great day and I will see you next week on the fourth episode where I speak with my neighbor Chris who moved here shortly after we did from Massachusetts. He is our retired chief of police. He's a bow hunter and a conservationist and he has some pretty wild stories. You're not gonna want to miss that one. I love you.